Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interview or discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Organomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on a discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical organ therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org. In this episode, you'll hear my presentation of my patient Beth during one of the ACO case presentation webinars. I discuss how she came for treatment, expecting to be prescribed medicine for her symptoms, but ended up addressing so much more in her therapy, including, as the title suggests, finding love. Today's presentation is entitled, A Picky Patient Finally Finds Love. Her 10th therapist gets to the heart of the problem and it's presented today by Dr. Chris Barrett. Um, so Dr. Barrett, I'm just, I'm curious, how did you decide to present your patient? When I was the host for one of the last webinars, Dr. Chaska made a comment about people and his patients having so much life in them. And if only they would let it out. And I immediately thought of Beth. And so I wanted to share her story today with the audience. Wow. Okay. Can you tell us maybe a little bit like why did Beth first seek treatment with you? When she first called, she mentioned feeling anxious and, and having melancholy, and she wondered if she needed medicine. So she called me basically as a psychiatrist, thinking that probably she would need medicine for what was going on. And we decided, you know, with that first phone call, let's schedule an initial evaluation so I could learn more about what's going on to see what I thought uh, would be helpful for her. Mm-hmm. I was just struck by the title, Nine Therapists. So you were number 10. Correct. That's, a, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> and, and that was an important discussion to have um, in that first evaluation appointment. And in fact, that probably um, was the focus of our evaluation, more so even than the symptoms, um, because I was curious, what was that about? I actually don't remember if she mentioned it on the first phone call. I don't think so. I think I just knew that she'd had therapy before and wasn't satisfied with how things were going. And so she was looking for another approach and and thought maybe it it would be medicine. Okay, I see. So can you tell us what was that first session like when you met with Beth? She basically came in and told me, you know, some of the symptoms as she did on the phone, that she was anxious, that she could feel melancholy. She was having trouble sleeping. And the first thing that stood out was there wasn't, this wasn't the thing that was wrong. It was a a lot of different things. And the, um, it was a little bit of a confused picture. And I got immediately had the sense that she could become um, intellectual and confused when there was a lot of emotion going on. But the other focus was um, just getting some background in history. And, and she told me that she'd had nine prior therapists. And so I focused on that of what, what is that about? And 
she was telling me that, you know, she saw a therapist who uh, was a little bit too chummy. She saw a therapist who was too rigid. She saw a therapist who um, one of her brothers had also worked with and uh, got their stories confused. Um, th there was there was something about every therapist. And I'm wondering, man, what is it going to be about me? And a few moments later, I, I learned <laughs> what it was. And I was asking a question and I said something like, how much? And she jumped on that moment. How much, Dr. Burt? Don't you know the difference between how much and how many? And I immediately felt like, whoa, <laughs> um, what, what is that about? And, and I, I, I felt this like, whoa, I, that, that stung a little bit. Um, you know, here I am the doctor, you know, I, I know, you know, I know what's going on and what to do for you as a patient. And I, but I don't even know how to speak like it, it hit me. And, and, you know, after I initially overcame that shock, I was thinking, wow, what is that? And because she's this lively, energetic young woman, she's wonderful. But then she, you know, like gave me a, a left hook and I was like, where did, you know, what is this? And as we were talking more about that and, and, and some of the um, reactions she had to prior therapist, it became clear that she was actually very sensitive. And one of the ways she developed to, to kind of protect herself and, and, and test people out was, you know, throwing a grenade in their lap and seeing how they were going to react to it. And, and she told me that when I asked a bit more about it, that, you know, uh, she'd said similar things, you know, whatever, uh, misstep or, or, or misspeaking a therapist had said, and, and she would point that out to them and someone would become very defensive or just completely um, stonewall her. So I don't remember exactly how we finished that first appointment, but we did schedule a second. And I mean, she literally said, you passed the test for that second, second wow. appointment. <laughs> okay. and, and that's what I appreciated about her, which was that she was keeping me at arm's reach, but it was fairly transparent. Um, it, it had an edge to it and she has this edge to her, but it's, it's not malicious. You know, you could, you could, you, you can feel enough from her that she has this loving, sensitive side that you can, you know, put that aside or, or not let it get to you and, and not make it a big thing more than it really is. So knowing that, how did you actually, connect with Beth? What I learned from that was that she needed to know that I could, she could trust me, that, that, that I was someone who was going to be there to help her um, because she was having a lot of difficulties. And it's like anything, if, if, you know, you're training to become a doctor or soldier, you know, are, are you going to be able to do what, you know, what I'm expecting you to do? I think she had a sense of what she needed that she, she knew she needed, um, someone who could measure up to, to help her because she was having difficulties. Right. You know? Right. So was there one key element or a key element of, of Beth's treatment that, that was so helpful? I think there's a few, but trust is very important for Beth. And, and, and I felt that fairly quickly and, and early on. Um, I mean, even that, that testing and saying, I'm testing you, was like her way of saying, I'm not going to come out and saying, I don't trust you. And, right. but, but basically was, you know, um, and, but what that told me was not just that, um, there was going to be times when she might have doubts about me, but that 
I need to be trustworthy. And, and I am generally a trustworthy person, but I needed to make sure that, that um, I was letting her know. And so I would say that testing phase, it was clearly that first appointment, but I would say that went on uh, for at least a few weeks. We had an appointment once a week after those first two appointments, we said, we're going to work together in therapy and see what, what we can do and what progress we can make with your difficulties. Um, and I would say it was fairly clear there was still a testing phase for several weeks, if not a month. And I would say it's still ongoing to some degree, but we're, we're much past. We, we have developed a, a foundation of trust um, that's quite deep now. But when I was reflecting back on her treatment for this webinar, I was thinking how there was the initial test, that first appointment, and there was you know a milder version for several weeks. And then there was the first year of her treatment, which she made clear to me that how it would work for her. She needed to have routine. She liked to um, come up with... Uh, ideas or topics that we would discuss for her therapy. Um, often she would have an icebreaker when we first um, greeted each other, you know, a, an idea, a topic, a question. And it was fun, but also I was always a little bit like, oh, what's going to be this time? Mm -hmm. And what I realized was, you know, I mentioned she gave me a left hook earlier. She's like a great boxer. It's like, I know she has a great left hook and she's telling me she's going to hit me with her left. And then she still does, even though I'm like ready for it. And these icebreakers would be a question. And, you know, I also work in a corrections environment during the day. So she asked a question about, you know, like uh, how inmates are viewed in, in modern day, you know, how they're dealt with, with mental health and um, stigma and so forth. And she got to me and got me going. And I was, and I, like five minutes later, I'm like, oh my God, like she got me going. And right. what that was, was, I mean, she has an interest in lots of different ideas and, and she's intellectual and it's fun to talk with her about things, but it was like a way of getting me to open up and reveal myself. And sometimes she could really get me going. I have to say, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second, you know? And um, so it wasn't a good or a bad thing. I just had to be aware that, that she would draw me out to, to either take the spotlight off of her or to revealed too much about myself. And that was kind of a, a dance that we did, but it was, it wasn't malicious. It was fun. And it, it, it had a fun back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. So there was these icebreakers, there was these um, kind of formulaic patterns of, of how um, she'd run a, an appointment. But what was important was that I knew that that was important. It wasn't that I was letting her take charge and wasn't in charge. It was that I knew that's what she needed, where another patient, that may be the absolute wrong thing to do. Uh, what I realized was just being in the office with me was huge for her to be seen, to be heard. And she needed that structure. That was very important for her. Even through that structure, emotional topics would come up and she may start to feel something and maybe even show just a little bit on her face of what she felt. And then she'd go, anyway, and we'd move on to something else. And it was a segue away from any kind of emotional feeling. And there was a dance even with figuring out how much do we go into that? How much do we let that go? And we just follow the segue. And that was me learning what she needed. 
where I could encourage her to stay. But I would say for a solid year, it was letting her guide me on what she needed Mm -hmm. and, and me being able to hear her and see her. And slowly, slowly through that year, she was able to express more, to show more. And it's funny, early on, when I realized that when she could feel a lot and then become confused, I had the distinct impression that running could be very helpful for her. And I asked, I always ask patients about physical activity and what role that plays and what it does for them. And she actually mentioned with some pride that she lifted weights and, and did other cardio activities, but I just had the sense that running would be very helpful for her to clear her head. And, you know, she said something like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then like a year later, I find out she's training for a half marathon. Oh my. <laughs> and it was this wonderful realization. It was two realizations. One was she still had some of the old school, which is, you know, the doctor tells you what to do and you listen to them because they're professional that you trust and, you know, you um, heed their advice, but also, you know, she'll tell me or show or let on that she doesn't trust me. But if she trusts me, she'll do what I say that, you know, I think is important for her and, and with uh, gusto. And it's so wonderful to see her really, you know, earnestly take charge of her life and do something. And and it wasn't just that um, I said to do it, but she realized it was helpful and it was very helpful for her. It's just so wonderful working with her to see her really um, uh, earnestly working on her difficulties. And the other part, you know, in that first year that stands out was often the emotional topics, charge topics, would only have, you know, um, would would be would touch on in passing, but she started sending me letters about um, some deeper topics, some bigger things going on, about some of um, past memories she had, um, dreams, difficulty at night, and, and thoughts that came up, and she'd write me maybe you know a two-page letter, single-spaced. And I would love to read it. And she would love to hear that I love to read it. And it was like the, the letting her know that I was interested, but also putting in the work of going through it. You know, this was outside of sure. an appointment. Sure. Um, it really meant a lot to her. And it meant a lot to me that she was able to open up. And it was, we were just, you know, it helped us even connect even more. And allowed her then to go to the next level level of, you know, oh, you, you know, you are going to stick it out with me. You're going to put the work in and helping me Well, I'm going to do my darndest, you know, to help myself. And it, it's, and it just goes on and on and on. And we're still working together, but it, that process is so wonderful to have together of, you know, we're both working hard, helping Beth, you know, move along. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you're really building trust with her in a in a profound way that she could open up so much. Um, so did her therapy ever run into some serious problems? So, yeah, I realized while we're talking, I, I haven't talked so much about what is it that she's dealing with. So a lot of it, um, when she mentions anxiety or melancholy, sleep problems, a lot of that is, is very deep feeling. She has a, a lot of um, depth to her, she'll feel it, 
sometimes suddenly and sometimes very deeply and have a great difficulty in what do I do with this feeling? Mm. She had deep feelings of, of anxiety and, and I would describe it as terror. She didn't use that word, but it was just, where am I in this world? You know, not where am I as, you know, a mid 20 something in my career, it's where do I belong in this, the cosmos? Mm-hmm. And she would feel that very deeply. And there was one time that that feeling brought on this, this horrible feeling of, of, it wasn't that she had a suicide plan, but it was, she felt like, should I die? I I, I don't, do I belong here? Do, what is, what is going on that I, that I'm here floating in the universe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and how we dealt with that was first making sure that she knew if, if she did get to the point where she started to feel actively suicidal, where she was going to have a plan that we could have the trust where she could contact me. But, but also just to stay with that feeling as much as she could tolerate it and not um, get away from it or intellectualize it, um, but just to stand it and kind of be by her side while she felt that. Mm-hmm. And um, that did pass. And it's, it, it can come up from time to time. And it's not even that we address that directly, you know, as therapy progresses, but these deep feelings that she, she has, she's, she's much better able to tolerate by just knowing that it's her feeling and that's okay. I'll be there by her side or she can handle it depending on where she is and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to accept that that's a strong feeling she has and, and to make nothing more of it other than this is where you are and this is how you feel uh, is very important for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically the course of her treatment, which is having very, very strong feelings and being able to uh, acknowledge it, to tolerate it, to express it. Just asking her the question for the first year of therapy, Beth, how are you feeling today? You know, as after I say hello, when she first comes for an appointment, that was too much for her. Wow. She'd become confused or feel on the spot, or it would just, this overwhelming process would take over her. Again, for me, I had to figure out, was that something she needs to be encouraged to deal with? Do I stop asking that? Do I keep asking that? What I learned from her was I did need to use a question like that judiciously and, and much less often for that first year of therapy, that, that question um, was too big for her. How are you feeling? You know? So I imagine that, that pattern with you, how did that affect her relationships with friends, dating family members? I mean, at work, you know, like what, that had to be quite a challenge for her. Yeah. So with her seeing many prior therapists um, before me, that's the other thing that was in my mind, which is um, how does she relate to people? How, what effect is how she handles her feelings? How, how does that um, affect her interactions with people? So I had asked early on, you know, about social relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, and she's um, very friendly, very personal, has a lot of friends. But she told me early on that she has not had a romantic relationship. 
to me, that was important information. There's nothing to do with that early on. Uh, that was too too charged of a topic. It wasn't time. It was important. She knew it was important. I knew it was important, but it just wasn't time. It was almost that we put it on the shelf and it, you know, it came up later and, and it did come up later in that second year. So what I learned was when she interacted with other people, especially if there was any anxiety, it would be much like our appointments where she would take charge. She has this amazing way of directing the conversation without you even realizing it, um, especially if you're not looking for it. And so in that second year, we had just talked about the idea more of romantic relationships. It wasn't even, she wasn't going out looking for a date yet, but it was, it was like on the map for us both. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second year, the way I would describe it was she was much more comfortable with um, spontaneous interactions between us. And there was less icebreakers. There was less structured notes uh, for an appointment. And some of that was her. Some of that was me. I felt, you know, she could handle not needing to have a routine for our appointment and, and feeling it out. You know, maybe one day she did uh, and another time she didn't. But overall, we were getting away from that more structuralized uh, therapy session. And she was more tolerant of just being asked, how are you feeling? With that, um, there's a few things I don't want to skip before we get into her bringing up dating, because I know that's the title and that's an important part. And I realized that it wasn't like we planned, you know, some, the title may be a little bit misleading in that she was looking for love and, 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 you know, we've been working on that for years. It was like, that was in the background. That was important, but the work we did is what allowed her to get to the point where she is now. One thing I don't want to overlook, which was that, you know, as medical ergonomists, uh, we often work with patients on a therapy couch. We can do different interventions, having a patient lie down and just be, just just let them breathe. Yeah. Yeah. What's ever there to Mm -hmm. breathe. Um, So we worked on the couch probably twice in that first year that, and that was later on in the year, but uh, I remember her saying something along the lines of feeling recoiled. It was, it was too much. That was her way of saying this is, and I, I had the, the feeling that that's not where we were. I mean, if we need to have more structure, it was too open. It allowed her uh, to feel more, which was why it can be such an important tool. Um, but that's not where she was. And we were able to address that more in the second year one thing I remember her saying when she said I passed the test on the second appointment was, you know, I feel like I could cry with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have that uh, period, you know, and that was her way of, of saying, I have a lot of feelings. I need to have a place and someone who I can share them with. And, and I think like you and I could get to that point. And in our second year, she was able to, she was right. She was able to cry with me. And it literally started with a tear, a single tear uh, of, of just being allowed, allowing herself to express that in the office with me, which was huge that, that she trusted me, but that she trusted herself to, to stand it, to stand me seeing her express how she felt. 
that that was a part of the trust, which is I learned that she was always, you know, on the lookout for what my reaction was going to be to her expression of anything. I, I think in one of the, the promotions for this webinar, I mentioned it was clear to me what was important for her to, to know that I see you, but I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to fight back if you fight me. You know, I'm here to help you. And and to to repeatedly say uh, those words more or less through my actions and through being trustworthy, through just allowing her to be the wonderful her. She is wonderful. And what I learned was that, you know, she is very intense. Her acquaintances, friends, family have always highlighted when one of her wonderful features becomes twisted, you know, when her intelligence becomes twisted into intellectualism, when her high drive becomes pushiness. It's like, sure, we can all have our, our characteristics that can become twisted like that and off-putting. But what about the fact when it's like, it's spot on and like her earnestness and her hard work, it's like, where's, aren't you guys seeing this, you know? Um, so just um, reminding her of that, I think has been very important. And it's still hard for her to hear it, to know how wonderful many of her characteristics are. I mean, the fact that, you know, someone says, I think running would be helpful for you. And then you're training for a half marathon. I mean, how many people have heard you should do this? And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yep. Very amazing. Very yeah. good. It's a tribute to the health in her. I mean, she's, yes. like she's got a very healthy, healthy core place and you were able to help her let that shine and show in her own way, in her own time over. So you treated her for two years. Um, so we're, we're about three years now. So we're still working together. Okay. Um, but okay. Dr. Marcel, with what you said, it, it was like, not only did she have to learn to trust me, but like trust herself to even look at herself to see I'm doing it. Like, th this is amazing. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so how's Beth doing now and how have things progressed for her? So the third year I would describe as the year of dating. She brought up the idea of kind of dipping her toes out, uh, dipping her toe into the water of dating. And it, I'm sure it had been um, bubbling in the back of her mind for some time before she brought it up, but she finally brought it up. And I basically encouraged her to, to give it a try. I felt at that stage she had... Uh, develop this ability to be spontaneous with me, to tolerate her feelings more. And dating is very intense emotionally. And it was like she developed that foundation, both in trusting a complete stranger and meeting me and being able to be herself, but also trusting herself and her ability to tolerate her feelings, mm -hmm. uh, the pleasure of, of meeting someone new, the disappointment on, on not getting what you're hoping for, all of that she developed the solid foundations in the two years leading up to that in our work that it was time. So with her dating, I would ask her about it and it resembled similar to how our therapy sessions were. There was a bit of a structure to, you know, a, a coffee date or a dinner date. If it, if she became very anxious, it might even turn into interrogation, uh, you know, of the guy. So just talking about how to manage her anxiety of, of the give and take of meeting someone new and dating 
and and making her feel safe by giving her some structure, figuring out how she could do that or how she could uh, manage things um, without letting herself get in the way of enjoying the process. And that was the other thing, which was just enjoying it, the pleasure of just being out there and meeting new people and having fun, doing fun things together. I mean, I distinctly remember the reason you're dating is for fun. It's for pleasure. Like, I don't want you to forget that um, because it could be, you know, become a, like a work process almost because it was a challenge, but it was, it was so fun to see her be able to go through that process to almost more quickly do what we did in therapy, you know, in her dating life, you know, and start off a little bit rigid, a little bit structuralized. And then, you know, as she uh, met people, she learned kind of how it worked and then she could meet someone else and, and, and be a little bit more flexible. And it was so fun to see that again in her dating life. And then that came, uh, that, that brought us up against her intellectualizing and jumping to conclusions of, Oh, well, this guy, you know, he has these great features, but, you know, I think, I think he's in the friend zone now. Hmm. It was like any kind of that romantic attraction would become, you know, would be dismissed to, oh, we're friends, you know? And, and, and that was sometimes true that just, you know, there were just, uh, there was a platonic connection that, that wouldn't develop into romantic connection, but sometimes there was something more intense and, you just needed to wait and find out and Beth needed to see what was going to come of it. Not just jump into conclusion of, well, it's probably going to develop into a, you know, a, another friend zone situation. So let's just stop it here. You know, what's the point? Um, so she needed encouragement. She was, she was testing them the way she was testing you or what you had seen in that first year therapy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing was though, uh, she was testing them. Are you going to put in the work for me? You know, or are you going to, um, you know, I, um, if we're going to date, I'm going to put effort into dating. I'm going to get dressed up nice. I'm going to put effort into thinking about where we should go out. Like, are, are you going to match that? You know, I want, I want this to be a two-way street and happily she did meet someone who, um, passed the test. And, and that was through her being able to tolerate the uncertainty of, well, how is this going to develop? You know, there, there's this initial interest and excitement and energy. We don't know where it's going to go. And, and that unknown, you know, is anxiety provoking. But yeah. she developed the capacity to tolerate that and is, is repeatedly pleasantly surprised that she develops this um, deeper relationship with this guy that now is her boyfriend and uh, is able to enjoy being together, having fun being herself. She told me on her second appointment, she thought she could cry with me and she's able to cry with her boyfriend. Now she's able to just be her and, and be upset. And it's wonderful. A, a lot of our work now is, you know, figuring out how deep is this going? You know, uh, are there things about Beth that are interfering with the relationship? You know, is she being uh, too structured? Does she need to go with the flow and allow herself to deal with that anxiety? Or does she need encouragement to speak up to say, I'm not happy with this. You know, this is how I see it. I want to address this um, because that confrontation can, can be very anxiety provoking and to do it in an emotional way. So she could be heard 
because it's not a business arrangement. It's not just getting the facts across. It's an emotional relationship that she needs to speak up and express herself with. And she's doing wonderfully. That's great. <laughs> That's really great. So um, we do have a few Q and A's, uh, but before we go into any from our audience, is there anything else that you wanted to share about how best doing or any, anything about her, her work and, and how you're working with her? Beth helped me learn to keep my eyes open and ears open to hear my patients and her specifically on what she needs. You know, she was telling me all along the way that, you know, she needed to not get into something too deep. She didn't need to uh, talk about her feelings because just being in the room, feeling what she was in the room with me was enough at that point me being able to observe her and learn from her to help guide me, guide her in the treatment, I think was very important. And, and just follow that, just constantly be following what's happening between her and I and her therapy, where she is emotionally, what feels spot on to me, what feels off, you know, what work we do on the couch, what work we do sitting up and, and talking, giving her perspective about things giving her encouragement when I think she can stand it, even if she's pushing back and I know, well, no, you can take this. You can stand the feeling right now. It, it's a very important and gratifying experience between the doctor and the patient. And it looks different for, for every person. And I, I think there are aspects of Beth's therapy that are universal. And there's things that are very specific to her that may apply to other patients who may have similarities, but my training guided me, but, but my feelings and my connection with Beth have been the most important part in her therapy mm -hmm. and, and her feelings with me being able to, you know, she, she has an edge to her and now it comes out in a healthy way. It's, you know, she's not just going to take what I say verbatim. If she has a legitimate, you know, question about it, if she um, looks at it a different way, and then we can talk about it. And I love doing that, you know, like Dr. Burr, you said this, but what about that? And it's, oh, like, it, it's not, it's not um, this anti-authoritarian, I'm tearing down the authority figure. It's just a a doctor-patient relationship where there's a mutual connection that we can address what's going on. Right. I went right. off a little bit, but I That's got okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that relationship is so key. And she came to you thinking it was just going to be about medication and to just hear the arc of the story and how it was not about medication at all. Uh, well, I'm sure you addressed that with her early on, uh, the question of meds, because many patients come they want medication and a Band-Aid, you know, because they're in pain. So I guess I'm wondering, how did you, how did you discuss that with her? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So I felt clear uh, with where she was in our initial connection that she did not need medicine early on, that in fact, that probably would have been pushed her backwards in terms of uh, tolerating her feelings. And, and she wasn't she could feel overwhelmed at times, but she was able to stand it enough that I didn't think medicine would be helpful for her at that point. That being said, 
it's not black or white or, or uh, mechanical. When she was feeling a lot more and when she started dating, she asked me about medicine after we initially said, you know, things are going very well without medicine. And I did feel it was appropriate later on to have a low dose of medicine and an as needed medicine if things were just um, completely overwhelming, because especially with dating, it, it brought up so much feeling, not just in terms of that interaction with that person across from her, but about how she was raised, how she was taught to look at romance and dating, mm-hmm. that it kind of was helpful for her to, to solidify that foundation. And that's an ongoing discussion of this. She's still need it, you know, and, and that's, a, it's a fluid thing. It's not just medicine, no medicine. That That's how I see it with Beth. And for most of the patients, it, it's not medicine. Yes. Medicine. No, but um, what role does it serve? What function? And, and is it going to interfere in some way or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one question from our audience is uh, what role did Beth's family play in her therapy? Because you mentioned her upbringing, her childhood. Yeah. Her family didn't play a direct role in her therapy. You know, it was there was no family therapy involved. We would talk about her family. They have an important role in her life. She's very close with them. So in some ways, it was very important, but not important at all. We would address, I would say the biggest way it came up was she played a role in the family and she can continue to play that role at times. And so the question was, what part of that was her nature that tended her to, to, to fulfill that role? And what part of that uh, was getting in the way, whether when she's still with her family or how does she play, how does that play out in her work life, in her dating life? Um, you know, uh, being stuck in a role was not working for her. And, she, and, and talking about her family and how she was raised we're able to address that. And, and, you know, she's, she still gets together with her family on the holidays and different occasions. And so it can still come up. So I would say that's kind of how that, that's played a role in her family or her therapy. Right. So, and you mentioned her work life. So I I'm, I'm wondering, this is a question for me, what was her work life like as she went through the three years of therapy with you and what's it like now? She's always been a very hard worker. I mean, that's clear to me just in the work she's done in her therapy. I, I mean, it's it's pretty universal, her hard work and whatever she does, she's putting her all into it. So we would talk about her work. Often that wasn't where the significance was and what was going on, but um, often it could contribute to any anxiety that came up, confusion about how to handle a situation It's come up more recently in her figuring out what would be more fulfilling for her. Uh, what does she want to do as a um, ongoing career? Because her work thus far has been enjoyable and fulfilling to a degree, and she um, does it well, but she's kind of at a crossroads. So the way we work on it is, is really identifying um what's fulfilling about it, what she could leave behind and um, having her a clear path going forward. Because often in the past, she would 
get confused or anxious about, you know, where do I go from here? What, what's my 10 year, five year plan? And uh, it was like too big, too, too much to, and um, you know, she could get stuck and, and, and think of this big plan and, and do nothing, or she could jump to well, let's work at a new company or, or do a new thing. And that would also not quite, you know, be what she needed and, and dealing with that anxiety of what do I want? What do I need? And, and stand, you know, that process of figuring it out. That's how it comes up. Yeah. We have uh, another question from our audience. Um, this is more specifically about the therapy. Um, like, could you talk about your counter-transference with her? Like what counter-transference, what you experienced within yourself and, you know, reacting towards her? What was that mm -hmm. like? Like when she criticized my wording <laughs> or, or, or later on? Sure. <laughs> any, any of it. Like, what was that like for you? It, I mean, it hit me in the gut. It, it was, it, it hit me. Um, and I, I think in some way there's a, a bit of, I don't know if luck's the right word, but I think just immediately just being in the same room together, we developed a quick connection and, and um, she's very likable. And I can also sometimes take a beating and be okay with it. So it was like, <laughs> I, I think the way my first reaction was like, ah, oh, that hurts. Like, is this going to go on? Like, like right. so there was right. a lot of relief in that second appointment when she said I passed the test, like, right. okay, it, there's going to be challenges, but like, it's not going to be getting battered every appointment. Although like, maybe there's part of me that would put up with that. So luckily, I think we handled it well enough that I didn't have to find out more about how I would handle that or, or what that would uh, bring out in me. I mean, honestly, when I, when I think of our work together, I think I'm always excited to see. It's like, um, I mean, I'm a, I'd say a proud doctor, but it's like the proud coach who's like, you know, working with a great athlete and, and saying like, okay, but what if you hold the bat this way? And then it's like, they go to the next game and they do it and they hit a home run. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then the next time it's like, well, what if you stand this way? And then she does it. So that's what it, I mean, brings up mostly me. It was just, just, it, it's just so wonderful to see her progress and, and make progress with, you know, when we develop trust, it, 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 it's remarkable what she's capable of doing and, and not letting anything get in the way of that. And that, that's my work is to anything I see that could possibly get in the way of, of us having a good connection, us having trust, making sure I'm trustworthy, doing what I'm saying, I'm going to do saying what I mean and mean what I say. And it's like, she does the rest, you know? Right. Right. So that leads into this next question from our audience if you could talk about how your background in ergonomy was useful with Beth. Well, um, you know, in psychiatric residency, you learn about a whole host of different therapies and medication treatments. And when I reflect on, for instance, Beth's first year, you know, a lot of therapies these days, you know, are advertised as, you know, in 10 sessions, you can do this. If I tried to use that approach with Beth, that would have backfired completely. I mean, we wouldn't have had trust to, to even 
address any of the things that would be in, in this kind of um, manualized treatment. My training in medical ergon therapy was invaluable in having an understanding of character of how people tend to manage their feelings, um, but also um, paying attention to my feelings and, and what feels good about this, what feels mm -hmm. off. A lot of the work with Beth has been trusting that it keeps going well and, and to not doubt it, to, to, I mean, to pay attention for, for what's happening, but just to trust my gut that we have a good connection. She's doing great work and it keeps going and, and not to interfere with that. It, it's almost like you, you could interfere with when you feel good, you know, it, it's, it's too much or mm -hmm. the work is, is going too well. Like, do you, do you stop and, and analyze it or, or interfere in some way? And no, just it, let it be. Let it be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and you trusted the health in her. She sounds yes. like she had such a core of health to get in its way would, would hurt her. Yes. You know, and the whole process. So yeah, good. Good. So let me just check the Q and a box. If there's any more questions. No. Um, so no more questions from the audience, but is there any, anything else that you wanted to, to mention or to say, um, cause we're, we're running short on time. So any, any last thoughts or anything that we didn't cover that you think we should, we should know. I was going to say the, a few things with, with, um, uh, that, that stand out with, with Beth's therapy, even like what, with what I just said, tolerating that things are going very well, uh, in our work together, but also just the pleasure. I mean, she's has this boyfriend and she's enjoying being with him. And some of our work is just helping her tolerate that, not, not, doing anything that would get in the way of being able to tolerate the pleasure of enjoying each other's company. And I think we've mentioned this before, but it's worth saying again in, in different webinars, we can have pleasure anxiety of, of anxiety of just standing, feeling good sensations, emotions of pleasure that specifically comes up for her, but it, we can all feel that and and just to allow ourselves to stand it i think is is so important especially these days when there's so many things you can look at that aren't going well when you feel pleasure like it's like for god's sakes allow yourself to stand it and feel it <laughs> um so i i just want to reiterate that um but the other thing is why i mentioned discussing Beth's story is because of what Dr. Chaska said, which is that we all have so much life in us. And, you know, Beth and I were able to find a way for her to allow more and more of that out. And so she's not the only one with a lot of life in her and the only one capable of allowing more out. I, I want to leave the audience with that of, of, you know, we present patients for these webinars, but um, all of us could stand to allow our life just to come out, wh whoever we are and at whatever different way that means, um, you know, give it a chance, you know, trust yourself. Well said, well said. <laughs> Thank you. That was real. That was really great. So um, I think, you know, giving hope to young people like Beth uh, is, is part of why I like 
being able to be part of this, this uh, webinar. Because um, there's, in my practice, there's many more people, you know, that have these kinds of issues, just being able to trust and, and be spontaneous and then enjoy the pleasure of yes. their life, their work life, their love life. So, so anyway, okay, well, Dr. Marcel, what you, I'm sorry, I just wanted to add what you said, you know, giving hope to young people. There's so much going on in the world that it's easy to, to let that get to you, but also it's important to recognize what is the outside of what's outside of me and what's inside of me in relation to how I'm feeling. Sometimes I think that can get confused and we can say, well, I'm feeling this way because of this is happening. That's happening. And Something outside. It's worth actually looking. Is that, is that why I feel this way? Is this coming from inside of me or is this actually coming from the environment, the politics, this or that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- that self-reflection is so important. So, yeah. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a great story. And uh, I really appreciate all the work you've done with Beth and sharing it with all of us. And um, so um, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marcel. How do you feel after listening to Beth's story? What do you think? I had an appointment with Beth recently, and I was happy to see her express pride while reflecting on how far she has come. I couldn't help myself but respond. Imagine where you'll be in the next three years. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. If you learned something or enjoyed the podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a rating and review. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Ergonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, Medical Orgone Therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.